0: Hey, welcome to Cinema Snorkel, the podcast where we look below the surface of the themes and ideas in movies. I'm Carlin.
1: And I am Casey.
0: Casey, what are we talking about
1: today? Oh man, we're talking about the Lord of the Rings trilogy, all three.
0: In one episode. In one episode. Or maybe two. Maybe two.
1: Yeah, but potentially in two episodes. This feels incredibly relevant because of Amazon's uh, Rings of Power series. People got Tolkien on the mind. That's right. But it feels huge because these movies, I've, I feel, are the best movies ever made. They've had a tremendous impact on my life.
0: One does not simply lump
1: all 3 Lord of the Rings trilogies into one. But, but that's exactly what we're But one do. is going to try doing that today. In fact, two are going to try doing that today. One
0: episode to rule them all. Nice. Remember what Bilbo used to say?
1: It's a dangerous business, Frodo, going out your door. You step onto the road, and if you don't keep your feet, there's no knowing where you might be swept off to man who can wield the power of this sword can summon to him an army more deadly than any that walks this earth.
0: Put aside the ranger. Become who you were born to be. right now just just talk me through what's going through your heart what's going through your head
1: I cannot deny that my heart has greatly desired this when I was graduating high school I uh had was flush with cash I had all this you know loving family friends and generous people all the 20s that
0: people had sent you in in your graduation cards yeah
1: I pooled those and I thought you know these could just go into savings or I could yeah or buy books for college yeah yeah or whatever (laughs) Uh, But I decided to make a real investment, and so (laughs) I ordered something online, and one day I heard the doorbell ring. Bing bong And I ran downstairs I was like It's here It's here <laughs> my, mom, my mom sticks her head like, Around the corner What's here What did he buy What did, what
0: special thing Did he buy With all his Hard earned Graduation Congratulations money And
1: I unwrapped A second age Noldurian High elven Warrior sword It's like a scythe That's in the first movie You know the one I never one. would
0: have Recognized it Except for that it's, hanging, it's been hanging On your wall Since as long as I can remember And, and that was, But that was not Your first Lord of the Rings sword no, was
1: it No, it w- there was another. <laughs> um my dad gave me the Aragorn's Ranger sword when I turned Andalil, 13 which
0: flame of the west no, forged from the no,
1: blade of Narsil. Nope, I wish. So that, it's not No, Andala, this is Andanilla this is mobile? the Ranger sword that Aragorn carries in the movies oh. for the first yeah. Andoril. And I'll have to earn at some point. You know, when I become a man, I think that's oh, when I'll right. actually have earned, you know, that sword. When you
0: become a man and summon the dead yeah. armies. Yeah. <laughs> to- and to- until you can fight do, on your behalf
1: until you can do that you don't deserve that sword <laughs> so it is fun to have those but now i'm like what do i do with them <laughs> you know that,
0: what are you talking about you take them down and swing them around every day i don't think you're at a loss for what to do with your that's true <laughs> were you gonna were you gonna uh, pretend like you don't do that or something uh, on this podcast?
1: no what <laughs> what uh come again
0: I've had to apologize for our listeners. Um, I've had to apologize on behalf of Casey for the level of nerdiness that he will display sometimes People when, when talking about Lord of the Rings.
1: They don't always know, but then they walk into our apartment. My wife didn't even really know, but oh, okay. <laughs> I'll just share this too. Early on in our dating relationship, we were just talking about like, do you cry during movies? And Hannah was like, um, you know, not really, but I, I, there's only one movie I've cried at. And uh, it's, you know, have you ever seen Return of the King? Uh. <laughs> I was like, um, And then you're like, Hannah, come will, you? will you marry <laughs> will me? Will you marry me? <laughs> yeah, she said, when they bow to the hobbits, and Aragorn goes, my friends, you bow to no one. Hannah oh. teared up, and I was like, is this love? <laughs> is it, am I in love? So, uh,
0: And that was your first date?
1: Even if on our first date she had said that, I would have thought, oh, okay, this is the one. So, Carlin, let's ask just an impossible question given the amount of time we have, but what do you okay. like about Lord of the Rings?
0: What I really liked just this last time watching it through was Pippin's character arc. Mm. Um, I've actually long been a fan of Merry more than Pippin. Interesting. But it just stood out to me how Pippin, by the end, he grows up and he makes some really brave decisions He saves Faramir's life. He um, kind of earns Gandalf's, I don't want to say respect, (laughs) (laughs) but they share that really sweet moment at the very end of Return of the King um, when Pippin's afraid and Gandalf is just comforting him. And you see a lot of tenderness of Gandalf towards the hobbits. And then Pippin goes and finds Merry and he finds Merry lying under the Moomack and he's like... they both have gone through an inc- insane amount of journey apart from each other, but they both have kind of earned their stripes and then are reunited in friendship, and I was just so proud. I was so proud to see how mm. Pippin grows up a little bit.
1: Mm. See, he's not just a fool of a toque.
0: He's not a fool. Well, he is, but he's he's much more than that. Thank
1: goodness he didn't throw himself in next time and rid <laughs> us of his stupidity.
0: What Casey, What what's one thing that you noticed this last watch?
1: If I had to distill it down to just kind of one thing that sums it up for me or illustrates why I love these movies so much, I think it's got to be the soundtrack by Howard Shore. Mm. And, Carlin, if J.R. Tolkien ever saw these movies, I'm convinced that he would absolutely love them.
0: Yay!
1: I know he would take issue, because he was kind of a stodgy Oxford professor kind of guy. He was stodgy, but lovable, you know?
0: Right. He wasn't warm and friendly
1: and jolly. I think he could be, but yeah, like compared to his buddy C.S. Lewis, Tolkien was more of the bookworm. Mm-hmm. Um, And he was very particular about Lord of the Rings and all sorts of ways that that presented itself. But I'm telling you, if he saw these movies, I think they would move him. I think they've captured mm. so much of what he was going for. And the soundtracks, to me, um, illustrate this perfectly. So the writers, uh, the screenwriters, Fran Walsh, Philippa Boyens, along with Peter Jackson, wove Tolkien's languages uh, into the soundtrack.
0: Into the it, choirs. Yes. And the vocalists. Mm-hmm. And Amazing. so
1: if you there's a site that I really like. It's called elvish.org. But if you just Google Tolkien's languages in the L-O-T-R soundtrack, mm. um, they've a bunch of super nerds, nerdier than I, have compiled um, from director's notes, from the musical scores that they released, um, the actual languages that they're singing, that the choir is singing wow. in each of the soundtracks, okay? And they're singing in Quenya, which is the Elvish language that Tolkien created, he started working on in the trenches of World War I
0: before he decided to write a story or a, or a history to go along with it, right. right?
1: Yeah, he was just a nerd who liked inventing words and languages. And the story came much much later. Um so two examples on that. One is uh, the Black Rider or um this these lyrics are found in The Sign of the Prancing Pony, A Knife in the Dark. Okay? Mm-hmm. Um and if you if you hear the words that they're singing, you'd instantly recognize the tune but the lyrics say we deny our maker we cling to the darkness we grasp for ourselves power and glory now we come the nine lords of eternal life
0: oh oh my gosh yeah that sounds like it's straight out of the old testament
1: (laughs) no kidding uh when boromir is slain And he's laying there, and there's a moment, and it's the choir singing. Mm -hmm. They're singing in Sindarin, Elvish, a, a line from a poem that Tolkien wrote that goes I do not love the sword for its sharpness, or the arrow for its swiftness. I only love that which they defend.
0: Oh, I did not know that they put that much uh, effort and specificity into choosing which lyrics for which scene. I mean, that is, that's really cool.
1: And, you know, again and again, I go back and watch the behind the scenes, you know, uh, like making of kind of mini documentary that they put together. And Mm -hmm. you really see what they did. I mean, it was a labor of love for this cast. Mm -hmm. And they really, it wasn't like some exorbitant uh, budget considering what they were able to produce with it. Mm -hmm. And they didn't have, you know, just like loads and loads of studio money. In fact, uh, I've heard New Line Cinema was kind of breathing down their neck a lot of the time and Peter Mm -hmm. Jackson's kind of warding them off, knowing what he's here to create. And he just, they just did it. They did it. For the love of the game. Absolute home run. And you don't always see that. So, from a filmmaking perspective, from a story perspective, from a care and continuity perspective,
0: yeah, I
1: truly, I, and I'm hopelessly biased, but I think they're the best movies ever made.
0: Yeah. Nope i I'm not even gonna question that. I think you're <laughs> right. So, as we endeavor to bring uh, the cinema snorkel perspective snorkel to this, we're gonna snorkel Lord of the
1: Rings. <laughs> We need um, to not verb snorkel. Let's let's keep it noun.
0: <laughs> Don't verb your nouns. Don't that's, verb that's your nouns, so people.
1: <laughs> Wait a minute. Did we just verb uh, the noun of verb?
0: Oh my gosh. We are going to talk about several key themes that we feel like are the strongest throughout. And how I feel like we could do this maybe is we'll pick one theme at a time and then talk about all the examples of that totally. theme. Totally. Totally. Then move on to the next theme, et cetera, et cetera. Totally. And then at the end, we're going to ask, uh, what does a Christian worldview agree with um, or disagree with? <laughs> <laughs> <As> <laughs> probably not much. But we, you don't know. We don't know. We yeah. got to gotta find out when we get there. Absolutely. Um, so, Casey, uh, one of the first themes that I've noticed in The Lord of the Rings, this time especially... Was this theme of rising to the challenge,
1: mm. um, kind
0: of stepping up to the plate, to uh, rising up to the task at hand? And the first time that this jumped out at me was that scene in the Council of Elrond when all these, um, like they're all lords and princes of their own land and they're arguing about what they're going to do, yada, yada. And Frodo has this moment. He's already had his own fully realized mini adventure. Mm -hmm. And he's already had this conversation with Bilbo where he's like, my own adventure turned out to be quite different, but I am ready to go home. He's like all set to go back to the Shire.
1: Sad boy Frodo.
0: Then... In that moment, all these lords are bickering about the ring and he realizes in his heart, I need to be the one. And he says, I will take the ring. I will take the ring to Mordor. And, and Gandalf looks around. So sad. What do you think about that?
1: Yeah, I mean, that is so central. I I feel that too. It's like every character, I would argue, has their moment of stepping up to the plate like you were even talking about Pippin Pippin and Mary you know yep, they had no yep. idea what they were signing up for they're just you know Mary is Frodo's cousin uh-huh. uh, on the Brandybuck side and they just come um in the films which we're restricting ourselves just to the film chronology right. but they just kind of bumble out of a cornfield and into this insane adventure but their game they're like ready to go yeah. with Frodo the whole way if need be and they stick recognize. With
0: him. Their duty as friends and kin, right? Um, which is the, one of the strongest bonds you can have. They recognize they have Frodo has a need. We're gonna fill it. We're gonna get him across brandywine.
1: Right. Uh, that's very unHobbit like of them, and that's what I like because Tolkien. Yeah. Tolkien loved the the simple life and the good life, and mm. he really we're we're shown how the hobbits. Um, it's not that they have nothing to lose, you know. You could sort of say like the men of Gondor are a little bit desperate. Yeah, to fight like they're always going to be on the front lines because they're just there. They're on the front lines. Mm-hmm. So they're ready to fight. But hobbits feel like they have a lot to lose. And yet it seems like the movie's saying they're ready to risk it. Um there's like to a, get the biscuit. To get yeah, the biscuit. The biscuit here being not a literal biscuit, of course, but <laughs> of course a not. No. but a, no a type of that. magical artifact. Yeah. Enough about the biscuit. It's it's not about a biscuit. <laughs> Have you ever had Cracker Barrel biscuits? They're really oh, good.
0: They're worth going to Mordor. For. They're pretty
1: affordable, actually, too these days with inflation.
0: <laughs> well, um, the other thing I was going to say is that the Shire at least from my understanding, kind of represents the thing that we're fighting for. And even that line that you just quoted, um, it's not the sharpness of the sword, but the thing that I'm defending with it. Um, that's not an exact quote. He said it better than me.
1: I was um, reading it in in your defense. I was reading it.
0: Okay, good. So, but but the whole reason when you have to step up to the plate, it's to defend what's good on this green earth. And if I may jump to the very, very, very end Aragorn's speech to the armies of men um, before they march on the Black Gates, he says, I bet you stand, men of the West. (gasps) But that's what we're here to defend, right? We're not just going to war. We're defending something that's worth defending. There's Mm. some good in this world, Mm. and it's worth fighting for.
1: You know, in the movies, one really poignant example of this, Carlin, to me, is the elves who show up at Helm's Deep. They, They- Answer yeah, with the call,
0: Haldir. Mm-hmm. No, yeah.
1: yeah, 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 and that's a deviation from the books as Tolkien wrote them, but I think it's forgivable in part because Tolkien actually had elves at Helm's Deep in the books. It's oh. the sons of Elrond who are actually with oh. Aragorn for all of most of these adventures. Oh, um, so they're at Helm's Deep. So it's not out of the question that elves would actually be there, uh, but in the movie, it's so poignant because these elves have everything to lose as well.
0: They have a whole eternal life, and they could go to the Grey Havens and live there forever in, yeah. in joy and peace. Yeah. But they sacrifice themselves for Middle Earth and for the men of Middle Earth.
1: It's because they love Middle Earth, and they actually, mm. despite centuries of estrangement, they actually love the people of Middle Earth. You know, and even mm. these men who once uh, they once had close kinship and close alliance. Mm-hmm. And they're, the elves are willing to honor that.
0: Another example of this theme, Gandalf. Funny enough, the, ah, man, Sir Ian McKellen, just masterful. There's so much going on in his eyes. But when they're going through Moria and the Balrog starts, you know, like they mm. see the smoke and the fire. Mm. The look in his eyes tells us Gandalf, has, he's not sure the outcome of this. He, this is going to test him. Um, Like up until this point, his main concern is making sure the people that he loves are okay and safe, but he's never been at risk himself. But there comes a moment when he has to turn and fight the Balrog, and this is the thing that he has to rise to. Um, That stood out to me a little bit.
1: Oh, that's so good. And even in terms of a character arc for Gandalf, he's been trying to avoid Moria this whole time. Yeah. You know, they try like every which way to get around it, and they just are finally, they're forced through the minds of Moria. Mm-hmm. and he has to deal with this thing that he's been like even in the early uh conversations with Saruman they're like teasing the balrog you know mm-hmm. like they mm-hmm. know that there's something in moria that took out this ancient kingdom of khazad-dûm and they they know that um it's just an incredibly dangerous place and in fact Gandalf had been through moria once before again we're breaking in the, from in the, the movies but yeah but no i think i think they wrote the movies with this well in mind um mm-hmm. He'd been through Moria, and he uh, and he was actually going the opposite direction. He went east to west the first time, mm. which is why it's hard for him to renegotiate those passages.
0: I have no memory of this place.
1: Nice. If he's afraid of things, uh, you know, <laughs> buckle that- up, Buttercup. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we should we should all probably be afraid of those things.
0: Yeah. Um. This brings us to a key key conversation. The conversation, I feel like there's a couple conversations that really uh, form my understanding of the point of Lord of the Rings. But that conversation where Gandalf is talking to Frodo and Frodo's all like, Mm. it's a pity Bilbo didn't kill Gollum when he had the chance. You want to talk about that conversation? Oh,
1: man. Yeah, absolutely. I think that gets to the question of why they answer the call. Hmm. Um, I think it's a deep awareness that there's more going on in the world besides just tragedy and besides just random Mm -hmm. chance. Mm -hmm. So as for the why all these people who uh, choose to step up and fight for what's right end up doing that, I think it's because of this innate awareness that all is not lost. And and Gandalf says it to Frodo. Frodo says, I wish the ring had never come to me. And Gandalf said, so do all who lived to see such times, but that's not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that's given to us. Yeah. Right? And then Frodo is talking about, I wish Bilbo would have killed Gollum. Yeah. And Gandalf's like, don't be too eager to deal out death and judgment. Even the very wise can't see all ends. Bilbo was meant to find the ring, in which case you were also meant to find it. They're laying out the philosophy of Tolkien in that, that really... And it's it doesn't hit you in the, the face. I mean, that line is as clear probably as they get about it. Mm, mm-hmm. But that is central to why you're going to stand and fight for good, even when it seems hopeless, even when the means you're using don't make any sense. You know what I mean? Like, it wouldn't make sense to just kill Gollum. Yeah. He's a wretch, you know, and he's definitely going to throttle you if he gets the chance. <laughs> yeah. But Gandalf's point is it was right for Bilbo to show mercy in that mm. moment.
0: For mercy's sake, right? Yeah, and Gollum ends up being essential to the final plot. Totally. Um, even though the whole time you don't trust him, and he's he pre- presents more of a threat, but he also they couldn't have done it without him there.
1: Right. I think that ties in with other themes as well mm. that we could get to. Uh,
0: I have a question, real quick, for you. Why? Why Frodo? Why does Frodo have to be the one to carry the ring? And what is it special about him that makes him um, the hero?
1: That's such a good question. You know, I think one huge theme in that Rising to Answer the Call is just the greatness of simple things. And I think the real answer is that there's nothing about Frodo, Hmm. per se. He's not particularly uh, daring. He actually wants to stay in the Shire You know, he's just like, he's just a hobbit. He's just one of a bunch of hobbits. He's a product of his culture. He's Mm -hmm. got a little bit of a a spark to him because his uncle Bilbo has taught him this, you know, like a little bit of Elvish and he's told him about these tales. And so Frodo is kind of imaginative in that sense. But I think the point is that there's nothing particularly special about Frodo and Sam. They're -hmm. just faithful and they're just Mm -hmm. grounded in who they are uh, and in the simple good things in life. And that is actually what it takes to circumvent the power of the ring. Because remember, the ring is all about, it's, it's all in that first rhyme about the ring. One ring to rule them all. One ring to find them. One ring to bring them all. And in the darkness, bind them. So the powers of the ring are ruling, finding, mm. bringing, and binding. Mm. Right? And it's very subtle
0: dominate it well because he the one ring dominates the other rings that he sent out right that's his purpose yes but then further than that the ring has whoever's bearing the ring kind of has this super influence or this super like power to will to dominate people around them
1: right the ring doesn't just control other rings it controls the people around it because people instinctively desire the power that the ring will bring and so the person wielding the ring actually does exert sort of a spiritual influence over everyone around them hmm. the trick is that a lot of people think you can use that for good and the ring actually is can only be used for evil yeah there's never a moment where the ring does anything ultimately good for people it only corrupts yeah and so there's a there's another subtle theme there and it and it's has to do with Tolkien's idea of, like, ends and means. Like, you can't use a, an item and an, the means of evil to accomplish mm. good, right? Yeah, yeah. But the hobbits, and this is, I think, why ultimately they resist its power and why Frodo can carry that thing all the way to Mordor when it corrupts Boromir, you know, in, like, three yeah. seconds flat, Yep, <laughs> is that Frodo is never about the, like, mechanics of power. He doesn't actually want power at all. Yeah. He just wants the good things in life. And he and hobbits are like the essence of that. You know what I mean?
0: I think in his heart, Frodo is still in love with the Shire. That's what Bilbo says to yep. about him at the very beginning. Yes. Little rivers and, and trees and reading a book under a tree. And...
1: and that's a good thing. You even see that reflected in Gandalf. Why is Gandalf the best wizard? And why does he stay mm. true when Saruman is corrupted? It's because Gandalf loves the same things. Yeah. He's a hobbit at heart. He really loves the hobbits and <laughs> I think that's central to like Tolkien's idea of goodness. Is like yeah. you're not grasping for more power than you are rightly allowed or should have in this world. You're content with sort of where you fall in the grand scheme of things and you just care about like goodness for goodness sake.
0: Uh Saruman totally belittles him when he says uh, your love of the halflings' leaf has—you've allowed the love of the halflings' leaf to cloud your mind. I can't do Christopher <laughs> Lee; he's too beautiful.
1: What a beautiful man!
0: But you're right. Gandalf sees the the beauty of the Shire and home, you know. And and in the words of Mary and Pippin when they're in the uh, Fangorn, and and Pippin's like, "Let's go home, Mary. We've got the Shire," <laughs> and Mary goes. Don't you understand? There won't be a shire pip. And they realize that the goodness that they love so dearly is being threatened. And that is the motivation to yeah. rise to the call, to go yeah. all the way, to defend the simple beauty and the simple joy of life.
1: Can I just point out one last uh, example to me that for me really yeah. is about answering the call? And it's Aragorn.
0: mm You know, for come on, for the
1: hobbits, they actually long just for peace and the Shire. Aragorn longs for the same thing. Like he longs to. Mm -hmm. Um. Well, he's afraid. He's afraid of being Isildur's heir, and he sees because he's been raised by elves, and he's got a long life. He's very wise and he actually understands the ways that men are corrupted by power. And he's afraid of that.
0: Yeah. Rightfully so. The other men would benefit from a little dose of that. uh, Sure.
1: Yeah. But there's greatness in Aragorn too. And Mm -hmm. he has to step into his own. He has to be the king that Gondor has been waiting for, or it's all going to fail. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so his journey is actually one of stepping out of obscurity and into a form of stewarding the power that he has mm-hmm. that he didn't choose he didn't Mm-mm. choose to be a Sealdor's heir and be raised in Rivendell and have this you know enormous weight on his shoulders but given those realities he chooses to step into it and reclaim the kingship of Gondor. And he does that again and again throughout the movies. Like he yep. rejects the ring when he goes on the paths of the dead Yep. That's like Aragorn's Balrog a little bit. It's almost like fate has destined for him to go confront this undead king. Yeah. Just like Gandalf kind of knows in his spirit, man, I'm going to eventually probably have to go through Moria like, and he's dreading it. He's running from it. Aragorn is, does not want to go to the paths of the dead because lots of people have tried and died to go through that way and, and claim kingship over this undead army. Yeah. And he's heard all the stories, but it's his birthright. He's actually the one who, he's the only one who can do it. And so he does and he saddles up and he leaves what he's comfortable with and goes towards something that's like absolutely, you know, out of the realm of the, the ordinary and he steps up and, and tackles right.
0: it. His fear being being confronted the way a door was and failing, but he doesn't. He overcomes. Right. Case, let's talk about our second theme, which how did you say it?
1: Yeah. One thing I wanted to talk about was related to stepping up. Um, and rising to answer the call. But it's courage in the face of despair. Mm. And that theme of despair versus hope is shot through Lord of the Rings. Like, I just remember the first time I watched this movie, I thought, the power of evil is, like, so overwhelming, you know? Mm. And it's mm-hmm. it's um, really disheartening. The whole time, you know that they're not going to win these battles through just normal means like there's not enough strength left in gondor the elves are leaving the time you know it's like sauron's rising he's unbeatable it feels like what's the point of doing any of this you know what i mean yeah so like two really critical examples to me one is the nazgul oh they are deadly but their primary weapon we're told again and again is fear Hmm. and actually when they show up people just run for it they won't stand and they're actually less like just incredible swordsmen, or you know what I mean? Like the way they're written is less about their physical power and way more about the temptation to despair that they induce. And hmm. even really courageous men will run, they'll abandon their post when the Nazgul show up.
0: And they can only be killed by women.
1: Yes, which is, which is great. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> hack one simple hack to defeat the Nazgul. It's,
0: women are their kryptonite. <laughs> Aren't?
1: Ain't, ain't it the truth? Ain't it the truth for all of us? You know. Uh, the other one, though, is uh, Denethor, uh, Boromir and Faramir's father. Right? He's he's the perfect example of what happens when you give into cynicism.
0: Oh my gosh! I just roll my eyes so hard. It's almost hard to watch. Just he's like, <gasps>
1: stop eating those cherry tomatoes. Just, just, just stop
0: it. Just stop it. Rohan has betrayed us. Yeah, I'm I was like, like, you didn't even like the beacons dummy
1: that's why Gandalf hits him and you're like "Ooh, get him
0: <laughs> twice
1: yeah Denethor is a good example of what happens if you give in to despair yeah and Denethor is the uh, opposite pole of Theoden yes they are meant to mirror each other uh-huh they're two leaders of men their uh-huh. nations are like joined but they have sort of reverse journeys. Denethor starts from a place of power and security and is corrupted as he looks into the Palantir and slowly loses hope. And so he turns to destructive means to accomplish his ends, right? He sends Boromir and tells him, bring that ring back no matter what. Yep. And he sacrifices his son and it ultimately drives him to insanity. Theoden starts with insanity Hmm. and despair. Mm. and gradually he's kindled towards a sort of desperate courage. And if I could just lay this out, because I want to lay this out for Theoden, but then I want to hear where you see it with other characters. Theoden starts, um, as we know, sitting all decrepit in his chair, but even after Gandalf frees him from Wormtongue, Theoden has a lot of character building to do, right? Like in the rest of Two Towers, he's kind of like, Ah, oh, what can man do against such reckless hate? You know, mm-hmm. my son is dead. The old are going to live and the young have died. Yeah, And he's really just feeling the weight of this world that he kind of woke up in. That's mm-hmm. different than the world that he remembers. And he's tempted to despair again and again and again. And he's kind of leaning on like Aragorn and Gandalf to propel him forward to victory. But by the end of the movies, okay, in Return of the King, and this is why that scene where the Rohirrim charged down onto the fields of Pelennor is so awesome because it's Theoden stepping into the courage that comes from actually passing through despair and arriving mm-hmm. at a deeper, better source of hope. Hmm. He, he comes to a place where he's like, his guys are like, we, we can't beat Mordor. We don't have enough riders. And Theoden says, you're right but we will meet them in battle nonetheless, right? Yes. And you're like, Goosebumps. oh, how different is that than Theoden yeah. early where he like won't call for aid. He's no. like, my men's courage hangs by a thread. He has so little faith in his own men. Towards King Theoden with his golden armor charging down as the sun rises behind him, just full of reckless sort of courage. And yep. he be- and he leads his men to this epic, truly the most one of the most epic scenes in cinema history
0: and he's not Charge. dodging. He's not dodging the truth. He's like, no, they're they're all about to give. They're like, how come we're, you know, there's no way we're going to win. he's like, you're right. We are going to die, but we will make it such an end. Yes. Uh, well, he says that at the end of Helm's Deep, but it's the same kind of theme where he's like, yeah. he's finally settled into this is what it means to fight for goodness, even if it means dying. We're, we're all in here. Yes. And then that last scene. Um, his dying line when he's talking to Eowyn, mm. and he, and I just lost it crying. Um, he says, "I go now to be with my forefathers, in whose mighty company I will not now feel ashamed." Yeah, so good.
1: What a character arc, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I talked to um, really one of my Tolkien heroes, a guy named Simon Barry. Uh, he lives in the UK. When I first met Simon, he greeted me with a elvish greeting. I was like, okay, you, (laughs)
0: are you going to do it for (laughs) us? No,
1: I can't do that. I'm not that level of nerd. Simon's Simon has reached that, that level, but he, he brought this home for me in a conversation we had one time um, where he said, Tolkien's version of hope is not like optimism. Mm. In fact, it's the absence of optimism, but the presence of something better. Like, Like it's it's not hard
0: realism, really.
1: Right. It's not like, hey, you know what? The glass actually is half full. It's like, no, it's not. (laughs) But we are going to keep going no matter what. We are going to fight the good fight. And the word Tolkien uses is Estelle, which is actually what Aragorn's mother names him, okay, for one thing. Really? Yes. But it's the Elvish word for hope. And the feeling that elves have when they feel Estelle is looking up at the stars. And saying that the stars are untouchable beauty, right? It's the same thing Mm -hmm. Sam actually comes to say like when they're in Mordor, but that's a very like elvish, old school Middle Earth thought that the elves brought with them from the Undying Lands into Middle Earth is that there's hope and there's beauty and there's purpose that no despair can actually touch. Even though everything down here is running amok, there's hope that transcends it and that hope leads us to acts of like desperate valor
0: sam and frodo have this conversation frodo and sam are leaving osgiliath and frodo's just he's kind of giving into the despair and 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 sam says his line about um the folk and stories you know they have they had lots of chances of giving up and turning back only they didn't and frodo says what are we what are we fighting for what are we holding on to and sam says um that there's some good in this world and it's worth fighting for it's, again, going back to that love of of the Shire and the love of kin and the love of friendship and um, those quiet, tender moments that are the everyday moments of life. But that's the goodness that's worth fighting for. It's that the hope and the love of the little things it feels like it's, it's disappearing because it's clouded out by the darkness. But it's still there and it exists kind of above the fray.
1: And I feel like Sam goes on like a journey with that. He is like kind of by nature an optimist, right? Like Totally. Like he's like carrying his pots and pans in case they're having a roast chicken one night, you know? <laughs> and you love that.
0: Yeah, he's got to save enough bread for the trip home. And they trade off moments where at the end, at the very end, mm. Frodo's drinks the last of the water and he's like there'll be none left for the return journey and Sam goes I don't think there's going to be a return journey Mr. Frodo. He kind of comes in in his heart to know that this is a one way ticket. Yeah. Frodo's known that kind of from the beginning.
1: Yeah. But the best part of that line is that it's not a uh, a hopeless line. It's actually and then cuz remember Sam like just helps him up and you're like oh, okay, like go get it. You know what I mean? Like yep. finally they're on the same page and they're just going to they're just going to do it. You know what I mean? Yep. That's I think the kind of feeling that they captured so well in these movies.
0: When you get to rock bottom. At the very last when hope has failed. Right. To, in all visible ways, you just this, this is it. It's just too tiny hobbits trying to climb this massive volcanic
1: (laughs) mountain and they've
0: got, you know, this demon of a Smeagol trying to like, you know, beat them down. And even it gets worse than that after that. Right. But even in that deepest despair, there's this little sliver shimmer of hope.
1: I think it just reflects Tolkien's worldview that goodness is not something we invented and it's not something Mm -hmm. that we can do away with entirely. It's built into the structure of the world at like an mm-hmm. atomic level. Hmm. The purpose, the goodness, and the beauty, and even the worst actions of people, even if they were to dominate, even if Sauron dominated the whole earth, there's still going to be goodness, you know?
0: And it's worth fighting for, for its own sake. Yes. Not for some reward, not for some glory. That's it. It's because it is, there is inherent goodness, and, and it's worth defending.
1: Yeah. And- It feels like the movies kind of sift people through that sift, you know, like, Mm. um, they all go through that process and some fail like Saruman eventually, Mm -hmm. you know, he starts off good, but then you realize he kind of likes power more than he likes goodness. Yeah. And he slides right down that slippery slope. Right. Um, you could even say like Eowyn a little bit. Her character is so complicated. Hmm. She kind of starts from that like kind of grim despair of like, well, I'm just going to sell my life dearly on the battlefield. I have no prospects. Like I'm sick of being in this cage. Like I, I yearn to be free. You know mm-hmm. what I mean?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: What do you see when you see Eowyn? Because she's a pretty rich, like complex layered character. And I don't, I don't exactly know, but I know she's going through that journey, but I don't actually know how they resolve it.
0: Um, I was actually thinking about her because in some way, like, when, uh, right before Theoden leaves, he charges her with taking the kingdom, and she says, is there any other duty you would have me do, my lord? Basically saying, <laughs> in I think how he thinks she's responding is, she's so sad we're all going to die, but yeah. she's going to live to see these days renewed. Yeah. And she's like, please don't make me live while everyone else has the chance to die in glory. Yeah. Hmm. I want to fight for those I love and she fights for Mary to have that opportunity too. and we're cheering for her. We want her to do that and she does she just she defeats the witch king of Angmar like she yeah, she's a total boss. But do you think she's running from her responsibility?
1: That's why I think Tolkien's hope is different than just like optimism. Because I'm just thinking of this. She really loses hope when Aragorn stops uh, messing with her.
0: Flirting (laughs) with her. Leading her on hardcore. He really thinks Arwen has sailed to the Undying Lands. He keeps having these dreams where she's dying. He's like, she's probably already gone. Um, and I got to think about, you know, practically speaking, I got to find me a queen.
1: Yeah, yeah. Where's a queen around here?
0: <laughs> How can a guy find himself a queen?
1: Uh, you know, kings just got to find themselves some queens. Am I right, kings? Come on, um, all you queens. Woo! My fellow kings. Yeah, like, I think Aragorn's just like a pretty soulful dude. And it's not his fault that if, you know, you hand him a mug, he's going to take it all soulfully, you know, or, or, I guess, the cup of mead.
0: He's got those dreamy, dreamy eyes. Like, he can't help but look, like, pensive. You know? <laughs> she's like, Wasul,
1: hail, Aragorn. And he's like, Mm, thanks, girl. But he's not trying to be all like, it's just who he is. You know what I mean? Yeah.
0: Which is why they're up terrible for each other. Like, he's so brooding. Eowyn is, like, uh, hearty and she's angsty, but she's got more spirit to her, yeah. I think, than what Aragorn. They, they're bad together. They're not a good match.
1: So what drives her to despair is kind of realizing Aragorn's not into her and mm. and she's going to have to stay behind while everyone goes to battle. And those two things yeah. are like the death of all hope for her. Hmm. You know what I mean? Like she kind mm-hmm. of has a uh, like a resurgence of hope. Aomer mm-hmm. comes back from exile, Theoden's freed from this mind trap. She's mm-hmm. been the only one watching this happen this whole time. Yeah. So she kind of has like a little bit of hope, then that hope is dashed. When Aragorn leaves and she actually just is not going to get the chance to do these deeds that she knows she's capable of. Mm -hmm. And so she kind of passes through that valley by killing the Witch King. But then I think uh, Eowyn's character arc is only really resolved by Tolkien in the end when she is in the Houses of Healing. Which is
0: not depicted in the movie. No,
1: it's not. But she meets Faramir and that's teased. Uh, yeah. And she kind of recovers, like, okay, there's a reason to live. It's not just, um, it's not just the sword for its sharpness. It's not mm. just the arrow for its swiftness. And Faramir is the perfect foil for that. He's mm. like a gentle warrior who kind of, and she's like a fiery warrior, right? Yeah. And they kind of meet and bring out the best in each other in that. Or you could That's see that happening. Cool. I know they don't show us that, but that is what happens. Yeah,
0: it doesn't resolve it the strongest on screen. Um. Because maybe where she would settle into, uh, that 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 there's something worth living for happens after she's proven herself in battle. Yeah,
1: I think she did need to prove it. I think she did need to go through that valley first and just mm-hmm. like play it out. You know what I mean?
0: Uh, we touched on this already, but can we talk about good versus evil? Yeah, in Middle Earth.
1: Yes, Carlin. Let me ask you: What does evil look like in Middle Earth?
0: Well, it reminds me of a conversation we had. Um, oh, probably a year ago, that's always stuck with me, where you were talking about the difference of evil in Narnia versus in Middle-earth. In Narnia, the evil, the bad guys are are like Kalormans, or um, they're like men that have been corrupted, and it's easier to see how they are just people that went astray. Whereas, um, aside from the White Witch, whereas in Middle-earth, Evil feels like not humanized, like orcs are not redeemable. They're, you're never going to see right. an orc reform and become a good guy and fight right. on the side. Like they're more like a spiritual force of evil, like they are demons and they're being led by a, an evil leader. Right. And so in one sense, it feels pretty black and white. You've got Mordor and you've got um, everyone else. Right, right. <laughs> but it's not that simple. I mean, and in, you can look at any character- Literally any character has moments where they are tempted and it. In, in fact, you could even look at The Lord of the Rings as a case study of everybody's moment of temptation. Like everyone has a moment where they their particular demon is offered to them and they have the chance to reach out and some of them take it and some of them resist. Right. I'm trying to think, what are the temptation scenes that stand out? Um,
1: I mean, whenever the ring shows up, there's going to be a a moment where they decide what they're going to do with the ring, which again, represents rule, dominion, power, uh, authority over others. It's a means to what Galadriel and Gandalf and others would say, hey, no, this is a good end. Should we use this means of dominion and rule um, in a corrupt sense? Right. Yeah. So they're really confronted with that.
0: A great example uh, Saruman, who used to walk amongst the trees and be friends with the ants and love things that grow, you know, the simple, small pleasures, but he gives into his lust for power. And then right before he dies, he's chopping down the forest and burning them. You see him betray everything he loves for the sake of, of the lust of power, which is because he gave into the temptation right. of it. And another example. Gollum, we get to see a little window into his past, where he very quickly is overcome by um, the desire for the ring. It's almost just like you see a simple creature, and you see the ring just dominate him immediately. Mm. Um, and then he becomes something so diabolical and pitiful and sad. And he has a little moment right in the middle. He kind of his personalities seem to be kind of splitting a little bit where there's like a, a Gollum that really does still want to do good and he wants to help Frodo and help Sam, but then it gets pulverized. Yeah. Um, when, when do you think is the moment when Gollum, we lose hope for Gollum, really? Do you have a moment that sticks out to you?
1: Yeah, I think it's when he trusts Frodo to come out of the Forbidden Pool in Athelion. remember? And they have these archers trained on him. And Gollum trusts Frodo, chooses to trust him, and he's hurt. It's like Gollum had this shriveled little heart and Frodo kind of was drawing out, oh my gosh, there's like some tenderness left in this thing. Yeah. And Frodo drew it out and then it's like Gollum got hurt right where he was so vulnerable mm. and chose then to retreat. And Gollum basically, I think from that moment, wins.
0: It's handled. I feel like Tolkien handles that very delicately because the truth is your circumstances shape you. And in many ways, Smeagol's been dealt a, a raw hand in life. You know, like totally. It, I mean, his backstory aside, people hate him. Like he,
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> like Sam just beats up on him all. I love Sam, right. but he's really he's very harsh.
1: And that's not an admirable thing. We're not meant.
0: It's to, no. We're no. kind of
1: like on Sam's side for some of it, but then we're like, bruh. Yeah. You need to see what's going on here. That's better than what you think.
0: Frodo and Bilbo both have the same, the right idea, which is this creature deserves our pity. Um, But at the same time, we don't let him off the hook for his decisions. Yes. Like he is still culpable for all all the bad, bad choices that he's made. (sighs) And yet you still, you want him so desperately to cling to goodness and to make a better choice Um, And he could. I really think he could. Even at the last, up until the end, he could choose goodness. It's a very, very complex character.
1: And this is, Carlin, why I love Lord of the Rings. I think this is one of the main factors for me. They present an incredibly robust view of evil. Mm. meaning it's complex. It's not one dimensional. And I know a criticism a lot of people will throw at Lord of the Rings is. It's so one dimensional, you know, yeah. all the heroes live. Oh, like good is good and evil is evil. Yeah. The one comparison that really drives me nuts is when they're like, give me some George RR R. Martin out here. You know, <laughs> like, like that's a dude who really understands, you know, the nitty gritty <laughs> of like terrible things and people are only driven by power and blah, blah, blah. The instant responses which one of those two authors actually served in in combat in war yeah. Tolkien Tolkien was in the trenches he was in Mordor i mean you want to know where he got the inspiration it's the mud and the filth and the trenches of Mordor yeah. and yet Tolkien first of all doesn't lose his appreciation for the good yeah but he also is very balanced and realistic in his view of evil and i guess here's what i mean there on one hand is such a thing as evil mm And something I wrestle with often in movies is where they pull their punch when it comes to the nature of evil. If you have a villain who's just purely misunderstood Mm. and that conflict is resolved just because, wow, we chose to then understand them, Mm. that is a simplistic one-dimensional picture of life. Life isn't actually like that. It's always a mix of Mm. being misunderstood and circumstances we can't control and our actions in response to that. And Tolkien understands that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you do have the elves, which are basically good, although in their history, there's one or two checkered moments. Yeah. And you have the orcs, which are basically pure evil. But if you're identifying with elves or orcs, I think you're missing the point. You're not either of those. We're the hobbits and the men, and everyone trapped in the middle of those two things. And you see both hobbits and men choose and, and, live with the results of their choices so you get the you get the reality that there is actually such a thing as real evil in the world and mm-hmm. then you get all the shades of gray from mm-hmm. Denethor to Saruman to Boromir to Théoden to Frodo to Sam and they all are actually very complex characters that grapple with good and evil as they, as I think they actually are in the real world.
0: When you mention J.R. R. Martin, R. R. Mar- uh, R.
1: R. Martin, George R.R. George
0: J.R.R. Tolkien. Stop with these.
1: Stop <laughs> with just putting the two letters and then your last name authors. Listen
0: up. If you're an author, you can't use your name. You have to have two initials. J.R. Jolkin. J.R. R. R. Mar- Moulton.
1: George R.R. R. Martin.
0: <laughs> the Game of Thrones guy. Yeah. 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 I don't trust his un- his understanding of evil. He's not really looking square in the face of evil. Because if you don't have a place for good in your story, then do you really understand evil? Or hmm. have you just given into it? Hmm. The people that live in despair, they don't know what goodness is because they haven't resisted evil. Mm. It reminds me of a verse in, um, I want to say Hebrews. That talks about how Jesus was willing to, he, he truly understands sin, not because he's given into it, but because he's resisted all the way. C.S. Lewis says this. He's like, we can trust that even though he's never sinned, he has resisted temptation to the very end of temptation itself. So he is able to sympathize far better than anyone who's given in Hmm. at the halfway part because those who have given into temptation can never know how much harder it would have been to resist it another hour later.
1: Right. Yeah. Well said.
0: Well, C.S. Lewis said it, not me. But um, that reminds me of what we were just saying. So that's why I said it.
1: <laughs> oh, nice. Thank you. Perd happily. All right. Well, this has been an amazing first half of our conversation about Lord of the Rings.
0: Let's take a coffee break and come back for more.
1: Take a quick lembas break. We're going to do what the movies do to you when you're watching the extended version and say the story continues on disc two.